Welcome to the Presidential Podcast Friendsgiving Spectacular. I'm Kenny Ryan of the Abridged Presidential Histories Podcast, and I'm joined by Howard Dory of Plotting Through the Presidents, Alicia of Civics and Coffee, and Jerry Landry of Presidencies of the United States. And we're here celebrating Friendsgiving in September because we recorded this in advance. Uh, thank you, everybody, for joining me. Well, everybody, let's go around and say, hey, uh, how are you doing, Howard? <laughs> uh, I'm doing pretty well. I'm excited. I'm really happy to be doing this. I'm happy to be outsourcing 75% of this episode. Very exciting. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. It's true. What we did is each of us wrote one question for each other participant, and we'll be going through asking each other questions and having a conversation. Alicia, happy to have you here, too. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Uh, I I adore all of you guys, so I'm I'm happy to be included. I even took a much needed break from graduate school homework to be here. So let's do it. Oh, wow. You're honored. Thank you. Thank you. And, and I hope like at the end of this, you're like, that was a nice relaxing break and not like now I need another break. No, um, it will be. I have no doubt. The three of yeah. you, I'm, I'm sure I will be laughing for, for days. So. And then uh, Jerry, thank you for joining me. Jerry, those of us who are listening can't see this, but he's the one who actually looks like he has a uh, you know graduate degree number of mm. books behind him. So it yes. looks very <laughs> official over there. Thanks for joining us, Jerry. I, I try to be officially official. But Howard, I did <laughs> yeah. have to wear this shirt just oh, for you. Yes. yes. <laughs> hey. He's got the uh, one of the plotting shirts on. And of course, it's Harrison. Yes. Of course, it's Harrison. William Henry Harrison. <laughs> read, read, read the, what's the Not shirt say time. for everybody's benefit? <laughs> So the shirt says, William Henry Harrison, for a good time, not a long time. <laughs> uh, yeah, Howard Dory sells fantastic shirts. He offers really great merchandise. So everybody listening, because this show <laughs> is going to be on each of our feeds. Yes. So if you listen to any of our shows, you're going to hear this. And we'd all encourage you to then go check out all the other shows. And, yes. and then buy some like really cool swag from Howard. Like I, I am. Who, who comes up? That's what my question should have been for you, Howard. Who comes up with your t-shirt designs? I gotta ask. Uh, I come up with the initial design, and then I find designers to like execute the the visual elements of it. But if nice. the, the titles and stuff like that come from my twisted brain, I love your twisted brain, Howard. <laughs> oh, thank you. I have the shirt that says "Facts are strange things," and it's in the stranger. Uh, oh my gosh, I'm the only one who yeah. doesn't have a shirt. I need to fix that. We, I right, think, I, we'll figure out a way to rectify it. that. We'll figure out a way. <laughs> <laughs> um, cool. So let's let's dive into the questions. I'll start uh, with a question for Jerry, and then we'll be going through round robin. So, uh, Jerry, uh, I, I understand you've already read a bio of every president before starting your podcast. So you're miles ahead of the rest of us. <laughs> Uh, who is your favorite president and why? And also, who is your least favorite president and why? So, and, and first of all, and Kenny, I wanted to thank you so much for bringing us together in this. Um, it's always such a pleasure to talk to each of you and to have three wonderful friends here together is just, this has made my weekend. So, Thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much. <laughs> and so, yes, I did. And it's part of how I got into the podcast is that I started a presidential biography read project. And so I did systematically read a biography of each president in order. I tried to make it a full length biography. So 
of their entire life, not just their presidency or just one aspect of their life. And so once I was getting towards the end of that, it was like, well, what do I do with this? And luckily my husband had the idea and asked me the question, well, have you thought about making a podcast? And, you know, six years later, here I am. But <laughs> yeah, and it's it's always so, it's tough to rank them because there are certain things, there are certain aspects about some of the presidents that I like more than others. And for the favorite president, it's pretty cliche, but Lincoln. And the reason is you look at the situation and you look at who Lincoln was. And if you have somebody who is the least likely person that you would think of to be able to take the nation that is disintegrating and be able to pull it back together, to be able to coordinate with armies in the field, to be able to keep the economy afloat, to be able to keep the domestic situation under control, to be able to manage foreign policy in the midst of all these crises. And, oh, by the way, it leads to the end of slavery, which generations upon generations of American leaders had kicked down the road because they were like, oh, well, it can't be done. We're not sure how this can happen. Lincoln is probably at towards the bottom of your list of people that you would initially think of, this is the guy, but that was the guy, you know, and, and yes, he was flawed and yes, he had problems and yes, some of his policies are very questionable. However, the achievements, I think, arguably, and especially under the circumstances, I mean, you, it, it's just, it's fascinating to study Lincoln and also to study, to get the personal accounts of him and how he managed the politics and just trying to keep things going day by day. So I'd say that he's probably my favorite president. So for least favorite presidents, I will go ahead and leave more of the modern presidents out of the discussion just because <laughs> I'm not opening that can of worms. Oh, come on. Coward. <laughs> but in terms of other presidents, and, and it's funny because they, they come so close together, but Andrew Johnson was just, mm. I mean... Mm talk about night and day presidencies and personalities and achievements, you know, more admirable achievements versus Johnson that, oh my gosh, how, uh, Andrew Johnson's probably the least favorite outside of modern context. (laughs) (laughs) And I'll just leave it there. Very delicate of you. (laughs) I've learned diplomacy over the years from the presidents. (laughs) (laughs) So, Alicia, in the course of all the topics that you've covered to date, do you have one that stands out as a what-if moment where you feel that the course of history could have gone better than it did? And if so, what was that moment? Yeah, so I had to look through my catalog because I was like, well, yeah, no, there's totally a couple of moments from history that I would be like, oh, what if that happened? Or what if that went differently? Um, but if I if I had to pick, 
I would definitely want to explore what would have happened had Shirley Chisholm actually made it farther along in the process, either as president or vice president. I mean, preferably as president. Um, I just, you know, again, you look at the current politics of today and the the current issues of of representation in in federal office, and um, I I don't wonder if some of that would have been mitigated or negated had she been successful in her her presidential run in 1972. Um, I thought she was pretty, you know, pretty powerful as a as a representative. She kind of didn't take any flack from anybody. And then she also, you know, she had some pretty good policies that in 1972 probably weren't uh, very popular. But looking back now, you know, we we have the the luxury of 2020 hindsight vision. You know, she was she wanted to legalize marijuana. She was, uh, you know, really supportive of gay rights. She wanted the passage of the Equal Rights Amendment. She was against the war in Vietnam. She was really focused on anti-poverty measures. She just had this really robust and inclusive thought um, and approach in, in her policymaking that I just, I would have loved to see her as, as president and, and see kind of what that would have led and meant for generations of Americans. And well, in, in case special. any of us doesn't okay. know who that is, can you elaborate real quick? Who is Shirley? Not that I'm one of those people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so Shirley Chisholm was a uh, was the first uh, black U.S. representative. Uh, she represented a, a district in New York, uh, in Brooklyn, and uh, she just. Um, just a brilliant, smart lady. Uh, she served in Congress, I want to say, until the 80s. Um, and then in 1972, decided to to do a launch a bid for president of the United States and didn't make it very far. She got, I think, like 40 votes, uh, nothing to anywhere near what you needed to be to, to qualify and to classify. And uh, the establishment very much was against her participating in any, even any kind of debates, um, just really wanting to, to put keep herself out of there and she always just said you know they're not going to let you have a seat at the table so bring yourself a chair and i just you mm -hmm. know just absolutely adore her so uh very very strong woman from history that i i greatly admire and she's just just her life and her career it's just so fascinating always to study about her and and mm -hmm. like you alicia you really just have to wonder had she been able to really, if, if she hadn't been shut out as much as she was, if she had really mm -hmm. been able to get her messaging out there, it could have shifted so much. But yeah, now she remains well, even, a hero you know, for would, us. Yeah, and I, I think I look at kind of the microcosm, which is her little district in Brooklyn, right? And the anti-poverty measures that she did and, and the school initiatives that she proposed. She she very much uh, kind of proposed the idea of, of kitchen table issues. I know Kamala Harris really drew on Shirley Chisholm's record and, and her, her own presidential bid when she was running for office in 2020. And so, you know, she was very effective in her district and it's, you know, pretty big sweeping metropolis, Brooklyn. And I, you know, I don't wonder what that would have meant on a larger federal scale, right? Because she also wanted to integrate federal office and, and she really felt that representation mattered. And how can you legislate for a, a diverse country if the the tenants of government aren't diverse and representative of the populace. And I just think there is a lot to that, that we probably could have benefited from back then. <laughs> <Maybe>. <laughs>
just a smidge. Thank you for sharing that, Alicia. That was that was really yeah. interesting. Thank I, you. Alicia. You know that was a really good question. Um, so my first question is going to be for Howard. And so, Howard, you tell um, some of the most irreverent and hysterical uh, tales from history, which I absolutely adore. And I love kind of your deep, deep dives on on all of the different primary documents that you do. So I'm curious, what's been your favorite primary source that you've used for one of your episodes? Um, Well, I mean, first of all, I I have to mention, uh, by the way, thank you. That's very kind, very kind. I'm going to replay just that part over and over. Um, I have to mention the the diaries of John Quincy Adams, just because it's it's such a great primary source from the time he was a child up through almost his death. And he talks about everybody. He talks about what he did. He talks about what he thinks. And he he there's no holds barred for the most part. He really just kind of lets loose. And it's just a great sort of historical and gossipy source. But when I think about my favorite weird obscure primary source that you could sort of call primary. Um, I think about this book that was written in 1859. Um, John Quincy Adams died in 1848. In 1859, purportedly, he wrote an autobiography from heaven uh, in which he used electricity (laughs) to channel his spirit into the hands of a medium who then dictated this 400-page book um, that is just, it's fascinating. From a paranormal standpoint, it's got everything you want in, in early spiritualism with seances and electricity and spirits floating. But it's also this, this abolitionist book um, that is very anti-slavery. And there's even a section where George Washington kind of uh, taps uh, JQA out and says, hey, let me take over this guy's hands. I want to write a chapter. And he laments his role in slavery and uh but that part of the book where where george washington talks about regretting slavery was actually printed in newspapers across the country like this odd little spiritualist book (laughs) had an impact beyond um just people who were were part of this this circuit and as a little present to myself i located a copy of this original book (laughs) from 1859 And it is, I mean, I I love it. It goes off the rails in the end. There's a section where... (laughs) Just the end. The whole whole thing. I'm I'm with it. I'm with it. I'm with it until about page uh, 400. But there's a section where um, just everybody up in heaven comes and signs their own name uh, in their own handwriting. And and some of it is in languages unknown. And it's just like the work that went into this. Like, I'll show you. So you can kind of see, like, these are signatures of, of all kinds of folks. Um, yeah. yeah. Wow. So it's definitely a favorite because it, it checks oh my all God. my all those dead boxes. All people's signatures are better than mine is. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Howard, when are you going to open yourself up to be a medium for the sequel? You know, I, I, I <laughs> yeah, put it out there me. every night. The candles are lit. Um, you know, it just hasn't happened yet. I feel like slowly I'm becoming a cranky old man, so maybe it's it's so subtle, <laughs> maybe. you know. 
That's how they're, they're speaking through you. You are not the cranky old man. It's it's your forefathers. I might be. And, and of course, you would be channeling JQA. So there you go. You know? <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I want to see that pixel literary agent. Like, I don't have a book for you. John Quincy Adams does. I'm just... <laughs> yeah. And oh, by the way, there's a guest appearance by Washington. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yep. It's crazy. I mean, John Hancock is like his handler teaching him how, how to like take people over. It is. It's a ride. It is a ride. <laughs> That is amazing. Yeah, that was a great question to answer. Thank you. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so my first question is for Kenny. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, you've had some great guests on your show. So who was someone that you really enjoyed talking with? And I want to know if you were as nervous as I was when when we first started doing interviews on our show. Um, because you seem very relaxed and conversational. I say that now as you're literally eating an apple during uh, this, this podcast recording. <laughs> um, so, yeah, just, just want to know more about the, the interviews and, and um, kind of your favorite and how you go about them. Uh, and, of course, it's not me. So you don't have to say that I was your favorite guest. <laughs> uh, oh, Lisa, you're definitely making the list. Like, I, I could not possibly come on here and not mention I've interviewed Alicia and she was on my face. But I, I, I have, first of all, thank you for the good question, Howard. I appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, Alicia wrote it for me. And there were... <laughs> <laughs> it's not true. <laughs> well played. Well played. Um, there have been so many good interviews. Uh, some of my favorites included Eric S. Yellen. He was a very recently interview on Woodrow Wilson mm. and racism in the federal government. Uh, there was a great interview with John Barry on Wilson and the Spanish flu epidemic. Uh, Lindsay Shervinsky, who I think we've all uh, corresponded mm. with her. She's always a delight. Yeah. Uh, Harold Holzer is, I think, a personal favorite. He always comes on to talk about presidents in the media. And as a former journalist, like I especially geek out on that topic. And Alicia's been on before. Alicia's great. <laughs> yes. I had a great talk with Alicia. Uh, but that said, I think my favorite uh, guest I've had on was University of Kentucky professor Mark Summers, author of The Era of Good Stealings. Which, mm-hmm. I mean, just right there, fantastic book title. And he was a wonderful storyteller. He had so many great anecdotes that really kind of brought to life that time period that I hadn't encountered before. And our interview on Grover Cleveland and the Gilded Age was just really fun. Mm. Um, So that's the first part of your question. Second part of your question, uh, nerves before interviews. So I, I used to be a journalist. And so interviewing is something that I'm very familiar with doing. I've, you know, I've gone into interviews with people who were hostile, <laughs> with people who were shy, with people who were nervous. I, I once had a story where a source who had every reason to be upset with me said, meet me at the construction site at midnight. Huh. <laughs> and, you know, I went and talked to him and he gave me some documents for a story. And that was nice. So, you know, when, when you've done like those kind of interviews or really the, the most nerve-wracking interview was uh, post-game press conferences after a bowl game Mm. where you have all the media in the room waiting to ask a coastal question. You know you're on ESPN. Their cameras are in the back. And you're just like trying to keep your question in front of you and keep track of other people because you don't want to be the idiot who asks a question that was already asked. Like that is the most nerve-wracking place you can be. (laughs) So... uh, like all those experiences helped kind of prepare me for for this for interviews and i just keep it relaxed and conversational and i'm just generally curious about people 
and it helps that I have full editorial control. Oh yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. No, the the editorial control is important because my first interviews, if if they were not edited, there was literally me asking a question, getting the best answer in the world, <laughs> silence, me saying, "Cool," and moving on to the next question. It was <laughs> awful. Um, but with the, with the magic of editing, it's a seamless conversation, and and yeah. So I, I hear that. Absolutely. Absolutely, which we are heavily doing right now, <laughs> as I say cool after every conversation. <laughs> cool. All right, I'm up next. I've got a question for Alicia. Um, Alicia, when you're picking topics for your episode, what are you looking for? What's the criteria that makes you say this should be an episode, but that shouldn't be? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, I think I kind of have to tie it back to the reason why I started Civics and Coffee. So for my listeners, you you know this pretty much, but for everybody else, they might not be. Um, I really wanted to tie history. I, I've heard a lot from enough adults in my life that history is quote unquote boring. And I think, mm-hmm. no, you just, you haven't engaged with the history that hooks you yet. Um, I think part of that obviously is representation and how history has been taught for Mm -hmm. years and years and years, right? There's been a lot of this reverence for dead old white men. Um, But, you know, I was very lucky in that I had an eighth grade history teacher, shout out to Mr. Lamb, who very much was uh, very derisive, very condescending (laughs) about the founding fathers. And he made them real for me. And that, that really, I was like, oh, they're actual human beings. And they burp too. Okay, this is fascinating. Let me dive into this. So when I am trying to figure out, you know, what I want to talk about on the podcast, you know, I I want to definitely tie in stories that I think, quote, unquote, everybody knows, right? Everybody knows about George Washington. Everybody knows about hopefully John Adams. I, I mean, Thomas Jefferson, I guess, Louisiana Purchase, the big sweeping stories, right? I think that's important. You want to cover all of that. But I also want to find the things that maybe they didn't get taught in high school, right? Like, I'm embarrassed to admit that I did not necessarily realize that George Washington used the powers of the federal government to try to track down an escaped slave. And so Mm. I learned that with learning the story of Oney Judge. Um, And so I want to pick those pieces of, of, of the history, right? I want to talk about those. I want to explore those because I feel like when you are telling that kind of other side or the history from below to a certain extent, you are making it more representative and have a greater likelihood of getting somebody to be curious. And I always hope at the end of my episodes that somebody turns off the episode and they go, hmm, gosh, I want to know more about that. And they they go and explore on their own. Um, that's why I keep them short. I don't go into beautiful deep dives like Jerry does. Um, but I just want to make sure that like I've piqued interest. So that's part of the reason why, how I, how I pick an episode. And then also, you know, as a woman, I look for the women. I do. I look for the the stories and the people and the events that maybe didn't get a lot of of cred or or ink, as it were. So I'm looking for indigenous stories. I'm looking for women in history and and their impact, such as the abolitionist movement, right? We heard about William Lord Garrison and Frederick Douglass, and they're great, powerful men, and they should be, you know, celebrated. However, there's Lucretia Mott and Elizabeth Cady Stanton and the Grimke sisters and all of these other women that aren't as familiar to people. And so that's kind of when I'm picking my episodes and trying to determine what I want to talk about. That's where I go. 
Absolutely. You do a fantastic job of it too. Like I, I oh, yeah. love the diverse cast of topics mm -hmm. and the, the like light dives that you do, they, they do lead me being like, oh, that's really great. Like I learned <laughs> and I'm curious to learn more. So you nail it. And I'm, thank oh, you. thank you. I'm curious if you guys are kind of jealous of her freedom to just jump around and not be in any way related to a president. Um, because I'm already going off the rails talking about founders and like presidential adjacent stuff. Um, and, and yeah, you, uh, Alicia, you've just got so much stuff to choose from. And I'm, I'm so jealous of that freedom. I, I actually, I'm like daunted by it, you know, mm. cause I'm like, oh man, if I just have to try and find things that are cool, like what if my things aren't really cool? Let me just do the presidents, <laughs> you know, like in order that way, nobody can judge me. Like dude, Kenny Millard Fillmore was dumb. I'd be like, well, he was next in line. <laughs> 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 See, I will say you guys are very fortunate in that there is like a built-in audience. There are people that yeah. love presidential history. They love everything that they can get about presidential history. Um, so there is that perk to it. Um, it, it can be a little uh, stifling, I guess, if you want to explore other things. But you can do like Jerry does, which he kind of created a, his own little niche mm -hmm. about uh, other other aspects of presidential history that are presidential adjacent, um, which yeah. actually, since it's my turn, maybe I'll ask Jerry about that. <laughs> so, Jerry, a while back, you introduced a pretty cool secondary part to your show where you review cabinet members and determine who deserves a quote-unquote seat at the table. So have you considered doing something similar to other parts of the administration, like vice presidents, for example? Well, and thank you for that question. Um, so first of all, for any listeners who may not know about this special series that's a part of my podcast, it's called A Seat at the Table. And basically in each episode, I invite on fellow podcasters. And if you've ever listened to a Rexy pod like Pontifax or Totalisrankium or, of course, the originator, Rex Factor, then it's kind of that similar format. So most of the episode is me sharing research that I've done on that, that cabinet member's life and career. And then at the end, we kind of have some ranking rounds, but we use that as a framework to be able to really talk about their legacy in a few um, a few broad categories. And so it's been, it has honestly been fascinating because it was one of those things as I was going through the initial narrative episodes, I would hit points where it was like, oh, well, I'd like to dive into William Bradford's life, but then that would kind of take me away from the lens of presidential history. So I need to keep things moving. Let's just move on. So it's been nice to be able to come back to some of these subjects that I was fascinated about and be able to do a bit of a, a dive in. And, but then also it's like, okay, <clears throat> then you get more topics that you're <laughs> starting to get interested in. It's like, well, can I justify that? But, and it's, it's funny because whenever um, we had April Fool's Day this year, my April Fool's was, oh, well, I'm abandoning the presidencies of the United States. I'm starting the vice presidencies of the United States. <laughs> Let's get away from the presidents. Who needs them? And I honestly had people interested in learning more about the vice presidents. I mean. And if 
time was not a factor, I probably would <laughs> start a new special series going into vice presidents or you know Supreme Court justices, and you know maybe someday I'm you know I'm hopeful, I'm cautiously optimistic that someday I'll be able. We to got vote. all the time in the world, Jerry. I know, right? Well, I'm I'm planning on cyborg implants to be able to get through all the presidencies <laughs> to begin with, so you know might as well work that in. Yeah, I kind of feel it's uh, interesting. <laughs> I was just going to oh, say, go like a Stuff John Stevens element of like, I'm going to write an album about every state in the country. Here's my album, <laughs> Illinois. And I don't know that he's come out with any more. <laughs> and that's a big goal. Exactly. <laughs> um, I mean, the fact that I've actually gotten to the Madison presidency after five years, and I think I'm over 150 episodes is, is uh, I'm taking that as a triumph <laughs> and I'm still are going. You gonna, are you going to have a Madison episode titled Madman or something like that? <laughs> like just throwing that out there. Ooh. I should. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, but it's so fascinating because, you know, folks were like, Oh, well, we need to learn more about the vice presidencies and, and what they were doing as vice president. And honestly, the answer for most of them, especially in the early days is, well, they were sitting in the Senate. They were presiding over the Senate they were bored that they were presiding over the Senate, and they were glad to not be vice president anymore. <laughs> no, here's what you need to do. You need to do an episode that is just all the quotes from vice presidents about how worthless the vice presidency <laughs> is. Yes. <laughs> and because you get, like, there are some great quotes, some funny jokes in there, you know. Um, yeah, that's what you need. That's what I think that whole se- it would be just like 30 minutes, and you're like covered, done. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> But All yeah, right, it, it, it'll just it'll, it'll be fascinating to see and um, actually have a vice president actually doing something in an upcoming episode. So Ooh. stay tuned, everybody. I mean, it's an exciting time. <laughs> so I think right. it is my turn to ask a question. So I am going to ask a question of Howard. Oh, so Howard. Yes. What would you say has been the topic in presidential history that you've most enjoyed covering thus far, either on the blog or on the podcast? And for those out there, um, Howard actually began with a blog that I started following pretty early on. And whenever he went into podcasting, I was like, oh, my gosh, finally, yes. <laughs> um, yeah, so something that I've really enjoyed diving into, like I love digging into – um, stories that might be just myths and finding out, like, did this really happen? Because so much of early presidential trivia is um, just bunk. Like, it's it, like <laughs> it came, like, yeah, you'll be told the story, this crazy thing happened in 1790. And what really happened was somebody made this up in 1880. And it just becomes like this <laughs> historical fact that ends up on a Snapple cap. But one story uh, I was really fascinated in was the story that John Quincy Adams um, believed in the theory that the Earth was hollow and wanted to fund an expedition to go to the center of the Earth and establish trade with mole people. <laughs> this sounds we were, ridiculous, We were always right? looking for new trading partners. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it, yeah. He, was a, he was a diplomat. Feasible, right? Um, but this story, uh, I mean, it just sounded kind of ridiculous. John Bell of the Boston 1775 blog, which is just a fantastic blog. Uh, he dug into it a bit. He found that it's, it seemed like the origin came from cracked.com, 
this article in the, the early or mid-2000s. So I actually tracked down that author uh, of the cracked article, and I said, hey, um, where, where'd you get this idea? Like, where did this come from? Is it possible you just misinterpreted the word visionary, which you thought meant, I love the hollow earth theory, this guy's a visionary, but really it meant, um, this man is visionary and has a disturbed imagination, because <laughs> words change meanings. And... He ended up uh, reestablishing a connection with Cracked because he hadn't written there for like 10 years. And they published an apology to John Quincy Adams. And even though this started in Cracked, it blew up to other uh, websites and magazines. And Smithsonian Magazine even had an article about John Quincy Adams' belief in the hollow earth. And I was able to contact them through all of this. And they rewrote that article and uh, basically apologized for their role in propagating the myth, which is just incredible to me. And it's a fun story, and it seems harmless enough, but it was actually being used to kind of say, hey, you know, presidents have believed in crazy conspiracy theories for a long time, or John Quincy Adams was an idiot. Um, Both of those things, which I I really didn't like the idea of. So it was very cool to kind of dive into this, share the story with people, get some things changed, and and go on this mini little, very niche crusade um, that's that's really (laughs) been... Um, pretty rewarding and awesome. So I, I love stories like that. And what's really amazing is John Quincy Adams can write thank you, and he can write back. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. I'm just I'm gonna go to sleep tonight with a pen in my hand and wake up and see if he's had anything to say. Yeah, it's probably gonna be a thank you. Letter it there. might be. It might be. <laughs> thank you for defending my legacy. Yes. <laughs> but awesome story, though. Seriously. I love digging into it. Um, so I've got a question for Alicia. Okay. You, like me, love horror movies. And if you could set a horror movie in any historical time period, when would it be and what real historical figures might make good characters in this this movie? I loved this question so much that I bugged the crap out of my husband (laughs) as we were kind of driving down to dinner the other night. And I was like, okay, I have so many options because I don't like, you know, part of me wants to put it in the 80s just because I love that slasher era of the late 70s and the 80s. But I was like, okay, but that's been done. And then I was like, okay, but maybe we can do it in like the 50s. But I was like, ah, no, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. So I finally landed on the kind of that industrial revolution, late 19th, early 20th century, Mm. and which actually fits in perfectly because then we could use H.H. Holmes. Oh. So um, I've done an episode on him before, did a couple of episodes on him actually. And so the the legend of him is much more robust than the actual facts of his case. However, being that it's a horror movie, let's just make him a crazy mad inventor who really wanted to test his new technology on people just to see what the impacts would be like torture devices that's kind of where i went with it wanting to bring hh holmes into it and then you know as a completely totally different aside i was like maybe jane adams could be the final girl oh (laughs) love it there's chicago right whole house is that what i'm thinking yes oh my god it tied all together i'm ready take take my money Yeah, I'm ready to green light this. Let's go. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so um, my question is for Kenny. If you could turn any of the administrations you've researched so far into an epic 
soap opera type miniseries, which one would it be and why? Well, this is fun. And similar to the question you just got, too. Um, So John Quincy Adams and Chester Arthur are both really tempting (laughs) because they have amazing stories, but their actual administrations are kind of lackluster. So for a miniseries about an administration, uh, Inauguration Day to the end of term, I think I'd have to say George Washington would actually make a really great miniseries. It would be a great reminder of how weak the United States once was. Mm. You know, being at the mercy of all these global powers who are fighting each other and we're just trying to stay out of it and getting caught in the middle. It would be a reminder of how George Washington may be deified now, but he was often vilified back then. Uh, and Thomas Jefferson would just make a great villain <laughs> if you, you know, portrayed him the right way. Yes. Uh, but yeah, you, you have threats on every front. You have like a whiskey rebellion. You got stuff going on at home. You got France and Great Britain, big powers. It, I think that that, if you're going to take one administration from, from start to end and really explore all the crazy things, like that's a great one. And so many great characters, too. We get Hamilton. We get Jefferson. We get all mm. these people. Um, honorable mention. Okay. To William Henry Harrison, who would make a great Pixar short. Okay. He would be like the first five minutes of Up and then just die at the yeah. end in the White House. Like it would be, you know, you, you'd be like, oh my God, Pixar did it again. <laughs> now, see, I could probably make it into a 12 episode miniseries. You could do like 24. It could be in real time. It there could be go. in real time, his whole administration. There you go. Yeah, a 31 episode, uh, 24. There you go. 31 season. Perfect. Um, Yes. But I I also have to be honest. I would love to see someone do like a Game of Thrones level presidencies of the United States TV show. You know, something with like 40 plus seasons where all these different characters and people, they show up, they develop, you see how they change, you see what they're like in front of a crowd at home, you know, they die, you see how their policies are carried out and how it affects, you know, people around the country, around the world, and you just see history carried forward on like a grand scope like that would be awesome. So that that's my like other thing that I'm just like, somebody please make that because I would watch the heck out of that. That'd be cool. History Channel, if you're listening, please stop talking about aliens and maybe look at Kenny's idea. There you go. In the meantime, there's uh, C-SPAN, which can be pretty fascinating. Yeah. It's true. All right, let's see. So my next question is for uh, Howard. Uh, Howard, you cover a lot of really fun, meaningful, or uh, tragic stories in compelling detail. What is your favorite presidential fail and why? Oh, first of all, thank you. That's that's awesome. Um, we try to cover things that, that incorporate all those aspects. And one story that I think kind of does, um, it's definitely a fail. It's definitely tragic. There's a fun element to it because it sounds ridiculous. And I think it should be more meaningful than it is. Uh, is the story of Thomas Jefferson's killer ram. The fact <laughs> the fact that Jefferson was he was obsessed with cultivating the best wool in the United States for his home country of Virginia. Um and, and so he was he had sheep on the White House lawn and he was gifted this this little ram that had four horns and uh, two of them stuck straight out like deadly points and he was given plenty of notice that this ram was dangerous. Um, it attacked a boy that was the the shepherd, and then it, it attacked a Revolutionary War 
a veteran who had come looking for a pension and instead got rammed. And then um, there's a story that actually also attacked uh, uh, an enslaved girl that, that would have been the child of one of his uh, workers there. Hard to substantiate that, but it sounds like something that could easily be covered up. But he, mm. Jefferson didn't do anything about it. He knew this ram was dangerous, and he didn't do anything until after it actually um, killed a nine-year-old boy on the White House lawn who was just crossing the lawn after school on his way home, um, and, and the boy was impaled. He suffered. He eventually died. Jefferson sent the family $25, which might seem like a lot back then, <laughs> but when you think about he also paid... $200 for a giant wheel of cheese, it doesn't seem like so much anymore. Um, and, and then, yeah, Jefferson, he was just so kind of myopic in his obsessions that he didn't realize the consequences things like that might have on other people. And I think that that sheds a lot of light on his personality in general. And I think that's a big fail. I think if something like that happened today and you could prove, like, what did the president know and when did he know it, type of thing, mm-hmm. um, it, it would be a big deal. But back then, it was just, um, you know, O. Jefferson and his silly little ram. I just want to say... I mean, my... didn't they try to make a big issue out of, like, President Biden's dog, right? He bit somebody. So can you imagine yeah. if he had a history oh, yeah. of biting and they found... I mean, it would be all over the news. Oh, yeah. 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 That would be, be careful. You're about to start a rumor that President Biden's dog killed somebody. <laughs> 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 Oh, and you know that would that would go. <laughs> yeah, I just want to say for I'm now inspired for that miniseries of the George Washington presidency. Um, every time you cut to uh, Thomas Jefferson, he's going to be like Doctor Evil in a lair, with, like feeding this goat uh, or this ram. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> like yeah, and it's perfect. Someday I'll lure Hamilton across the lawn, and and he, <laughs> the ram will get him. He would be holding his little pet mockingbird, Dick, and like gently petting it. And yeah, that would. That's, <laughs> yeah. Cool. You're up. Pal. Oh yeah. All right. So Kenny, I got a question for you. Wait. No. No, I don't. <laughs> Wait. Can I ask you a question? I don't have a you question, question for, you. for Jerry. I got it. All right. <laughs> Jerry, I got a question for you now. Um, we've talked about how in depth you're going. How many episodes you've done on just you know uh, three point one administration so far? You love research, and it shows. And I, what I want to know is. What's your research process like, and how do you stop yourself from getting lost in rabbit holes and actually move on to the, the writing and producing of episodes? I just want to say I love that question. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes, I do love research. Um, that's been beyond interacting with folks, fellow podcasters, listeners. That is one of the joys of doing this podcast is being able to really dive into the research, trying to make sense of things. And especially, you know, there's so many points in presidential history that have been covered ad nauseum and trying to bring a new lens to it, trying to bring a new perspective or poking holes in it and questioning, okay, well, they say every source says this happened, but, What's the real source for this? So it, it does become, it, it's almost like a puzzle for me. It's trying to put together, or when you've got something that you know happened, and everybody admits happened, but nobody really goes into detail, and trying to 
piece together, okay, well, what, what are the details of this? So really with each presidency, I start and I've got, I actually have a whiteboard that I use. I previously just used um, little note cards that I would tape to the, <laughs> to the wall. Very fancy. Very fancy. <laughs> I've now got an actual whiteboard that I start to just put events that I know I want to cover in the series. And I usually go about a year out. And so as I'm wow. going through, I'm like, okay, I'll start erasing. Okay, I've covered that. I've covered that. And then I keep refreshing as I'm going along. What keeps me from going off on tangents and getting in the rabbit holes? Because I also, you know, after I do that, then I go through my books and I'm like, okay, I need this one and this one and this one and this one. And then I just stack them up. And as I'm going along, I start to think, oh, well, I remember so-and-so said something about this or I need to find something about this. I think it should be in here. And... What keeps me from going down too many rabbit holes? I mean, I, I do, I go in depth, but I always try and keep the lens of what does this mean for presidential history? What does it mean for this administration? And that's when I start to pull myself back. Now, I am, and I'm constantly thinking ahead. So even now, I'm starting to think of the Monroe presidency. I'm starting to think of what I'm going to do with JQA, but that's kind of in the back burner. But what, one of the things that I've thought of from the very beginning, even the the um, Washington presidency was how am I going to cover the war of 1812 from a presidential lens and not have it become the war of 1812 podcast. And so that's, that's my current Dilemma. I think that I've got a strategy planned out for it, but we'll have to wait and see. I feel like right now my listeners are just having to trust me whenever I'm talking about Spanish vice royalties and Tecumseh and Tenskwatawa and Fletcher v. Peck and the New Madrid earthquake, that yes, this all does fit into U.S. presidential history and the Madison administration. I'm going to bring it all together. I promise. Just trust me. But this one is, it's all over the place. But it is all still within that lens of presidential history. So, mm. and, it, and that's the exciting part of it. You know, it, it becomes, it's not just about one president. It's not just about the individual holding the office. Yeah. It's about so many more people and events. Mm-hmm. And even at the beginning, the story spanned the globe. You know, there were okay. there were influences from so many disparate places across the world that were impacting what was happening in the Washington administration. So, you know, it it's a complex story. It's a very human story. And that's what I try and do one episode at a time. So How big is the whiteboard? Is anyone else feeling inadequate in their preparation? <laughs> Or is it just me? <laughs> yeah, I've got like a, a series of emails to myself and notes on my phone. I don't know if that counts as, as prep. <laughs> you know, the, the thing I'm thinking, I had just recently uh, read about um, Truman 
And it feels like, you know, as complex as American history was, it kicks, it like quadruples after all of a sudden the United States is a global superpower and every little problem in the world is on the president's plate. So good luck when you get to that. <laughs> That's for future cyborg me to figure out. Yeah. <laughs> we'll help with that. <laughs> well, and it's funny. So this is actually a perfect segue into the question that I have for Kenny. So Kenny... How far ahead do you normally prep to start your research and prep for each president? Are you, like me, always thinking a few ahead, or are you just focused really on one at a time? Yeah, good question. I, I try to stay pretty far ahead. So right now, I'm still putting out episodes on Wilson. Um, I am reading about Eisenhower, yeah, who's a good oh, wow. 30 years later. Um, but I am writing my Harding episode still right now. So he's coming up like really quick. I got to finish writing that guy. Uh, usually I would try to stay at least a few episodes ahead writing wise and about this far ahead reading wise. Um, but the, my summer was just crazy busy, uh, wedding, new job, moving, COVID, all the things. Just, just those uh, little things, you know, just minor life events. Congratulations yeah. on some of those. So I'm like, oh man, I need to. What's that? Congratulations on, on some of those, by the way. Yeah. Oh, yeah. thank you. Thank Absolutely. you. <laughs> yeah. So I'm trying to rebuild my buffer and find time to rebuild the buffer. But what I like to do is when I'm reading, like way ahead, I'm taking notes the whole time and I'm, you know, marking the book. And those notes almost kind of form the outline of the episode. And then when I get to writing it, I'll look at the notes and I'll look at additional sources where I get questions and I'll write the first draft. And then when it comes time to record it, usually a month has passed or so, and then I'll give it basically a final proof where I'm like, okay, this doesn't make sense. Let me fix that. Let me clarify this. This doesn't look right. And then I'll record it. So uh, that's, that's kind of the, the lead time I try to build myself. Um, and then I also try to book, I do a lot of historian interviews now. And so I try to book those in advance because those are, uh, you know, busy people. Some are harder to get. Uh, than others, and so I, I just try to get on their radar as, as soon as possible. Uh, but again, that's something where I'm a little behind schedule of where I'd like to be. So I, that's on my to-do for today, is to reach out to some historians and get some interviews scheduled. But yeah, uh, good question. Thank you. So that wraps up the questions that we had. This was a really fun presidential podcast, Friendsgiving Spectacular. But before I let you go, let's let's surprise round what is everybody's give me either your favorite thanksgiving food or tradition give me something uh thanksgiving related. your favorite food or tradition um wh whoever is ready i'll i'll jump in for everybody um so thanksgiving you know a, a holiday all about food i mean let's just ignore the troubling history of the <laughs> holiday Yes. Right. We're just we're putting that to the side. We're putting that on the shelf. Um, I love the fact that it's you know it's a it's a communal holiday about food, or at least that's what I choose to make it about. Um, so I hate cooking. You can ask my husband. Uh, he has to be the chef in the household because I don't I don't like the pinch of this and the dash of this and season to taste because I don't have any taste. So, um, but Thanksgiving is my day to shine. I love to cook. I love to make all of the things, and so um, I make a pretty dang good. Uh, uh, pecan pie mm. so Ooh. i get it gets requested every year my mom is you know she'll be calling me the first week of november you're still gonna make the pecan pie right you're still gonna make the pecan pie right so 
even if we don't spend the holiday together, because sometimes, you know, she goes and does other things and, and we're not always together on the holiday, but um, I am always on the hook for pecan pie. So I, I say that that's my favorite tradition slash food. See, Alicia, you and I are kind of on the same wavelength because I can bake, but <laughs> if it comes yes. to cooking... Yeah, my husband, he can look at a recipe for, I mean, have not prepared it, just look at the recipe. And he's like, oh, yeah, we're going to take that out. We're going to add in this. And oh, I think it needs a little more of this. And I'm like, what are you doing? We don't even know what it tastes like. (laughs) He's like, it's going to be fine. Okay. And, you know, I've learned over the years, just trust him. Yes, it's going to be good. (laughs) Just go to the grocery store because he hates going grocery shopping. So I can do that. I'll get you the supplies. Here you go. But one of my favorite things to make for Thanksgiving is potato salad. And, you know, growing up in the South, that is one of pretty much any holiday. You've got to have potato salad. And I have a recipe that came from my mom and my aunt. And I don't know where it came from for them, but whenever I think back over the years for every holiday, I remember that potato salad being there. And I actually, unfortunately, lost my mom in 2005. And so it's one of those dishes that whenever I make it, I think of her and it's like she's here with us. So it's definitely, mm-hmm. it's definitely a favorite of mine. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Howard? Um Thanksgiving, this this gives me an opportunity to, to shout out to my wife and co-host, Jess, who really makes our show, I think. Um, last year, um, Jess's aunt usually has Thanksgiving, but she had uh, was recovering from surgery. So we actually took on Thanksgiving for uh, almost 20 people or something for the first time ever. And it was it was awesome. We loved it. It was a lot of work. It takes a long time and a lot of work to uh, heat up a turkey that you bought pre-cooked and frozen from the grocery store. I didn't know that even that would be work. Um, We kept waiting on that turkey, and it just was not hot enough yet. But everything, um, I mean, I love all the Thanksgiving stuff. I love um, stuffing. I love the the dark meat on the turkey. Um, Mm. And, yeah, I mean, there's but there's nothing like pumpkin pie with some whipped cream. It just says Thanksgiving to me. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you make it or do you buy it? <laughs> um, someone, <laughs> I, um, that's a good, I eat it and I don't ask questions. <laughs> yeah. no you don't care about the Good answer. answer. No yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nice. uh, yeah, my family seems to have like an unofficial tradition of finding a new way to ruin the turkey every year. We have had turkeys oh. that were so overcooked. It was like red and you couldn't cut into it. We've had turkeys that were so bloody, they practically walked out of the oven, you know? Oh. So we, we always find, <laughs> to find a new way to do the cooked turkey wrong. Um, so I'll say my, my favorite part, other than laughing at that in hindsight every year, is I'm a big college football fan, so I love all the games. I love the rivalry weekend. I love going when they get a chance to go. 
So uh, that that's probably my favorite. Just like relaxing with my with my brother, with my family, and watching some football. So yeah. And at the risk of alienating some of your other college football uh, fans who are also listeners, what's who 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 do you vote? Who do you root for? Vote for? Oh yeah, my uh, alma mater, Texas A and M, the Fighting Texas Aggies. Who I'm sure by the time this is published will be uh, like undefeated, probably number one <laughs> in the country. Well, you know, I'm probably like looking at my tickets to to the national title game I'm, I'm quite confident that we won't have collapsed after losing the Appalachian State or anything like that <laughs> not at all <laughs> not at all my, no. my friend she is uh she lives along the Gulf Coast and so she I I, I have to represent her and say roll tide for Alabama sorry oh that's great we no, beat no, you, re- you really don't wedding. have to say that <laughs> <laughs> As, as somebody who grew up just south of Baton Rouge, go oh, Tigers. Sorry. <laughs> go Tigers. There you go. There you go. At my uh, wedding in May, I, I had fun at the welcome dinner teasing the Alabama fans in the audience by saying, thank you, everyone, for gathering here to celebrate Texas A&M's victory over Alabama last year. <laughs> it was really fun. I'm so great. And then we did, like, a little bingo cards, you know, for, for, like, getting people talking to each other. And so, like, some of the boxes, one of the boxes was, like, Alma mater lost to Kansas last year, and that was for my Longhorn friends, who I just <laughs> took so much pleasure in putting that on there. <laughs> cool. Well, hey, guys, this was a lot of fun. Thank you so much for uh, coming together for this. Uh, as, as a quick reminder uh, to our listeners of, of whose uh, podcasts are out there and where you can find them, uh, Howard Dory is the host of Plotting Through the Presidents. Alicia is the host of Civics and Coffee. And Jerry Landry is the host of Presidencies of the United States. And I'm the host of Abridged Presidential Histories. Uh, I hope you'll give all these podcasts a listen. Uh, as you can tell, they're all fantastic, fun people. So, uh, yeah, thank you. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody, from September. Thank you for putting this together, Kenny. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for this first ever presidential podcast, Friendsgiving Spectacular. If you enjoyed it, please write us some five-star reviews to let us know you enjoyed it, and we can look for opportunities to do some more collaborative content like this down the road. And I do encourage you, check out those other podcasters. They produce some great stuff. In the next episode of Abridged Presidential Histories, the narrative continues with Calvin Coolidge, who famously said, The business of America is business. And not much else. Old Silent Cal is basically the father of modern conservatism, and he does preside over an economy known as the Roaring Twenties, and then he leaves just before the bottom falls out with the Great Depression. So, it'll be a fun dive into what were the Roaring Twenties, how did the economy do that, and why did it all fail so spectacularly at the end. That's next time in Abridged Presidential Histories.